Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. It's the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. J.C. Sherbert are with you. It is Tuesday, June the 21st. Thank you for joining us. Sorry for the long pause here with the podcast, but uh, you guys who like the podcast are going to be very happy here directly as we're going to a daily format uh, at the end of July. I did some test runs with that recently. Got a co-host lined up. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun sliding into that spot that JB and Goldwater were at. Uh, going to be a little bit different than the JV and Goldwater show and that we're always going to be Gamecock focused. Uh, they were, uh, to a large extent, but you know, they were also sort of a localist show out of Charleston and all that good stuff. And, and we're going to talk SEC, ACC, college football, uh, other sports, Braves, whatever. But it, it, you know, whereas it's probably 60, 40 Gamecocks on that show, it's going to be probably more like 80, 20. Uh, but, you know, that's that's the audience, and that's what you guys like and want and love, and so we're uh, looking forward to that. Uh, some personal news. Uh, got engaged this past uh, Saturday, a week Saturday, so two, a Saturday, two Saturdays ago. Uh, obviously a very exciting time uh, in my life, uh, something that's long overdue. Uh, wonderful girl, obviously, uh, and very fired up and pumped up. Uh, to uh, fired up, pumped up, I guess, <laughs> to re-enter the world of of married life. Um, it's been about ten years, and so a uh, nice long break from that. But uh, certainly, uh, heck, when I was married before, I built the big spur, and certainly uh, had a lot of uh, a lot of intense focus uh, on the job here. And so I, I like that. I like that. I like having that stability. Uh, and all that. Plus, you know, <laughs> hey, when you're in love, you're in love. So that's uh, that's just kind of how it goes. But certainly a uh, a tremendous, uh, you know, time in my life. And uh, I appreciate all of you that have reached out about it, too, uh, on social media, on the website, uh, whatever. 
Uh, been a big time for the Gamecocks uh, on the recruiting trail, as June always is. And it's a huge visit weekend. This weekend, uh, I guess since we last talked, there's been a flurry of commitments uh, for the Gamecocks. And uh, we've uh, got them all here, <laughs> uh, I guess, here in the month of June. There's been one, two, three, four, five, six uh, commits since we last spoke. And just go through them real quick. Four-star athlete Kelton Henderson from Lehigh Acres, Florida. He's going to play wide receiver for the Gamecocks. Carolina continues to put a premium on speed uh, at receiver. And I, I like that. I, I think that sometimes you can get into trouble with your receiving core. And, and we've seen it, you know, uh, under the last two staffs around here. Uh, where you get you go size over speed, and then you get guys that are big, but you know they're not quite tight ends, but they're not quite receivers in this league either. I think that when you look around at, at some of the better teams in the SEC, from a talent standpoint, going back to you know you look at LSU in 2019 and the speed they had, Alabama <clears throat> certainly has uh, evolved uh, to where their guys can fly. <laughs> um, you know, you look at Georgia even last year with Burton and, and some of those guys that could get open deep uh, when they elected to throw it deep. They uh, certainly were outstanding uh, at times last year. And, and so you need that, I think, in South Carolina with Kelton Henderson. You know, checking with some sources around the state of Florida, you know, talent-wise, you know, he's probably a guy that uh, the in-state schools down there may regret passing on. It just depends on – you know, how he develops and all that good stuff. So he's in and he's the highest rated guy in the class right now, four stars. Uh, June 15th, Carolina got what I consider to be an elite prospect in Jalen Kilgore, you know, his offer list. And, and, you know, you when you when I first predicted him to Carolina on the 24-7 sports crystal ball, I was worried. I don't know about worried because, you know, you don't get emotionally involved with these things when you cover it. But from a Carolina standpoint, you know, if I had a concern, uh, it would be that, you know, Oklahoma and Clemson and some of these other schools, maybe even Georgia would step in and offer him uh, because he's that good. You know, he's a guy that, you know, sometimes when you when you identify a player early and this happened under the last staff uh, a lot, you know, they'd end up identifying a guy and then 15 schools would come in and offer him. And it was just a battle, you know, and that they didn't close the deal and. Many times those guys would go elsewhere. With Kilgore, uh, Torian Gray identified him early. Uh, he always had a wonderful experience when he came to campus. And, and this is not a shot at the old staff. I mean, this is a, more of praise for the new staff. You know, and then the other offers, the Clemsons and Oklahomas that came in, the Floridas, it didn't matter. And so uh, that was, uh, to me, even though he's a three-star guy, to me, uh, I thought that was a great piece of recruiting. Uh, because you held off the blue bloods. I mean, we talk about NIL here on the show a lot. Oklahoma allegedly is paying forty-five grand uh, a year to every player. <laughs> so uh, you know, to turn down a, a guaranteed deal like that, you know, to turn down Clemson, this, Clemson's been pretty hot on the recruiting trail lately. Uh, I think is a definite testament to the South Carolina staff, uh, and certainly safety. Uh, is a spot where the numbers still need to get there. And Kilgore is a really good one. Um, I, I think with his size and athleticism and the film, I mean, it all checks out. He could end up being an early contributor for sure. Uh, 
June 12th, and I'm going in order of ranking here. Uh, Mid-three-star tight end Connor Cox from the Bowl School in Jacksonville committed it up to the Gamecocks. Connor is a guy that uh, former tight ends coach Eric Kimry evaluated, loved, liked. Uh, he's a developmental guy, you know, 6'5", 220. That's a big frame. Got to get some pounds on him. Uh, Bowl School obviously has a history with the Gamecocks because that's where Hayden Hurst went. So there's a tight end at his position from that school that uh, was a first-round draft pick, Garnet Thor, uh, if you will. Now, obviously, Hayden had a different kind of path uh, to South Carolina and to football in general, to the NFL. Uh, but there's the history there with the Bowl School, <clears throat> home of Chipper Jones and uh, many other uh, outstanding athletes from the Jacksonville area. Same day, uh, you go a little ways to the uh, west of Jacksonville, and you get to a town called Perry, Florida, Taylor County High School, Cameron Upshaw. Uh, listed as a safety, could be a corner, kind of a plug-and-play guy, 6'2 and a half, 185 pounds, uh, mid-three-star guy, big-time uh, length, uh, frame, that kind of thing. This is the type of kid Tory and Gray uh, throughout his career has identified and then developed. Uh, so, you know, and, and he had kind of a – one of those offer lists you look at and you're like, hmm, you're kind of – a lot of offers, not a lot of visits. South Carolina was sort of the team to beat with him, or a lot of claimed offers, that kind of thing. I, I don't know. I, I talked to some folks that said maybe the, the offer that they listed from their school wasn't uh, committable or whatever, but that's fine. Uh, state of Florida, you know, it, it's – I don't want to say it's a crapshoot, but there's an awful lot of players from that state – uh, they go underlooked and, and all that. Now, you know, am I predicting NFL and all SEC for Cameron Upshaw? I get accused of that sometimes. But, uh, no, I mean, that's that, that wouldn't be my prediction right now, but I do like his frame, and uh, I understand why the Gamecocks take it. And, and, and when I talk about recruits, that's sort of my job is to explain why uh, South Carolina is taking them. It's not necessarily comparing them to other people's recruits or – you know, saying they're all underrated or whatever. I'm trying to talk, trying to explain, you know, because that, that's kind of my job. Why did the Gamecocks take this guy? Uh, and that's whether he's a four or five star or a three star or whatever. But Cameron Upshaw, you know, has the frame there. Another Cameron got in the boat on June 18th. Cameron Sadlin, that's K-A-M-R-O-N. My brother's name is Cameron, by the way. He's my partner on Carolina Rise. So uh, I like that name, Cameron. Uh, but this is with a K and Cameron Sadlin from Anniston, Alabama. Now this is another tight end prospect listed as an athlete. This guy's 6'4", 220, plays quarterback. You watch him play quarterback and you really love the way he runs around and can move. He's kind of elusive, uh, understands that he's got to switch positions to tight end at South Carolina. Uh, state of Alabama kid. It's a big year in that state. You know, I like him. I, I think, you know, there will be some transition that has to take place there. But I, I think that when you look at the size and the speed and the measurables and all that, as long as he can catch the football, which I'm assuming he can, uh, this could be a steal, a big time steal. Uh, and then the lone in-state prospect that's committed so far is uh, Judge Collier. That's a heck of a name, Judge. I like that. Uh, right now he's unranked. I think 24-7 Sports has him as a three-star uh, composite is not followed with any sort of ranking, but uh, 6'1", 185, 40-inch vertical, 4'6", in the 40. 
ideally you'd like that to be four, four. If, if we're talking about a guy that, you know, gets among the elite of the elite, but uh, he's at Legion Collegiate Academy in Rock Hill, another Rock Hill area defensive back, man. I mean, think about how many of those guys over the years have panned out, you know, going all the way back to, you know, D Feaster, uh, who played it, Jeff Burris that played at Notre Dame. Uh, you can keep going. You can mention Darion Kendrick, who obviously had a good senior year at Georgia this past year after playing at Clemson. Uh, and then the Gamecocks, Stephon Gilmore, Coe Simpson, Jonathan Joseph. Uh, you know, Sheldon Brown, Louisville is not too far outside of that area. Same with C.C. Wetlock, Chester. And there's just been a lot of good ones that have come out of that area. Devontae Holloman, um, you know, so I, I think Rock Hill DBs, you know, or something – you know, there's something to be said about that. I mean, you could even – Cam Smith was from Blythewood. You could even say the whole I-77 corridor if you went up uh, from, you know, through Fairfield Central, Chester, you know, all those places. But uh, Rock Hill is sort of uh, – it puts them out. I don't think you can go wrong uh, getting a guy from there. I've, I've been talking about where are the Rock Hill players. So, here we go. Here's, here's one like that. And certainly, you know, his – measurables, wingspan, all that good stuff uh, lend themselves to uh, being a safety prospect you can definitely coach up. Plus, he's in-state. Those guys have a tendency to pan out. So you look at kind of the the D-backs class right now, Kilgore, Zabari Sandy from Washington, D.C., who committed earlier, Cameron Upshaw, and then Judge Collier. It's another pretty crowded uh, defensive backs group after signing six last year, but you still need numbers there. Keep in mind, guys, because uh, people are like, why are they taking all these DBs? Well, keep in mind, South Carolina plays most of the time five on the field. Uh, and that's a nickel, two corners, and two safeties. You know, so your numbers at DB are going to skew larger in, in this system. And then, you know, along with hybrid guys like a Nick M. and Warre, uh, who they got in the last class, who could end up being a nickel or whatever. Um, you know, you're, you're going to want more numbers here as opposed to linebacker because people were wondering, well, why didn't they try to go get Jalen Moody uh, from Alabama at linebacker or whatever last year? Those numbers are a little tighter because you normally only play two at a time. Now, you're going to see some stuff this year like Sherrod Green playing a little nickel, Cam Smith sliding over playing some nickel, you know, Clayton White and his staff get creative with it. But that that shows you the need, okay? And then you also have – you know, Cam Smith could go pro. Devontae Reed only has one year, and if I'm not mistaken, R.J. Roderick's done after this year. And so you're looking at, you know, a need for some numbers uh, in the secondary in 2023. Uh, and so you bring these guys in. You know, it's as simple as that. And, and I don't think they're done at defensive back this year by any stretch. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Gamecock's sitting on eight commits right now. Uh, obviously Collier is not ranked. So they're you know, 41st in the country. Uh, some people have talked about, Oh, wow. This is a, you know, a bunch of three stars again or whatever. Uh, and I get that. Um, but, but I'll tell you this, that the higher rated guys are to be determined. Uh, and there are, or some could have committed because there are silent commits out there. Um, <clears throat> and just for an example, uh, if you go on the class calculator on the big uh, you can kind of project the class, you know, add some guys in, you know, so I went in the other day and I added just uh, two guys from in-state who have crystal balls for Carolina 
uh, who the Gamecocks are in great shape with. Montague Rames from Sumter, the big DN, four-star guy, low four-star guy, but four-star guy. And then a, a top, you know, 150 guy in Marquis Anderson from Dorman. Gamecocks expected right now to get both. You know, you just add those two and you get to 10 commits in this class. All of a sudden, team rankings-wise, it's in the top 20. Uh, so the the big jump numbers wise is coming uh, for this class if things go as expected. That's not even talking about guys like Dontavius Braswell, running back out of Washington County, who I I'm starting to think is a big big priority. Um, you know uh, who else who else is out there? Uh, Dylan Lonergan, you know the quarterback from Georgia, big four star guy. Uh, Jay Bron Harvey, who's an edge from North Carolina. Uh, who I think the Gamecocks are in pretty good shape with, you know, all those guys are still out there and uncommitted. So, you know, you, you talk about a class of 25 plus because, you know, they, they redid the rule where you can't go over the 85, but you can sign as many as you want. You know, you start thinking about it, you know, this is like a third of the class and, and you're, you're always going to take guys like this. I mean, if you're South Carolina, there's never going to be a situation where, uh, you know, you don't go <laughs> and and try to land, you know, the Jalen Kilgores of the world uh, or the Cameron Sandlins of the world, just because, you know, that's what you call low hanging fruit. And, you know, if you're South Carolina, I mean, you're not Ohio State or, or Alabama or uh, anybody like that right now, you know, you need to go, you know, be resourceful, especially with the numbers uh, within the state. Uh, like they are you know you, you sort of look at the state right now and it's you know the Gamecocks are doing a pretty good job uh, of it uh, they've got uh, you know they, they've got Marquis Anderson trending to them DJ Geth his teammates trending to them I still think Xavier McLeod is trending to them Montague Rames is trending to them um, you know a lot of players uh, from the state of South Carolina are to be determined uh, as far as, uh, you know, their, uh, their ultimate destination. Uh, and then you look in 2024 and South Carolina's in really good shape for a lot of those guys in state. So yeah, you look at it and look, I don't know. I don't know why Jordan Knox is ranked, uh, fifth in the state. I don't know why people have him as four stars. He's good player going to Northwestern University. He's from Northwestern High School. Uh, you know, the quarterbacks, Grayson Loftus and Lenore Sellers, uh, are sixth and seventh. I can see that right now. I mean, I like those two players. You know, going to Duke and Syracuse, they're going to be fine. Uh, you know, Thomas Williams from Powdersville, I don't know. You know, Geth should probably be higher. Uh, I like the kid going to West Virginia, Cameron Jackson from Spartanburg High School. Uh, he and Iman Smalls, both going to West Virginia, in-state defensive linemen from D-line heaven. Uh, but, you know, uh, you know, gosh, West Virginia's got three kids from South Carolina because uh, you include Raheem Jeter from Spartan High uh, and all that. But those those guys are pl- players Carolina's passed on. Uh, so I don't know. You know I don't know what's going to happen with that. I, uh, I kind of think our boy – Judge Collier is probably better than a lot of these guys prospect wise uh, when you look at the rankings right now. But, you know, Carolina's one, two, three. They could take three of the top four within the state. And then depending on how high Geth moves or, you know, Judge Collier, that's five solid in-state guys. And that's about all you can do right now, you know, as far as in-state talent, because if you can get better elsewhere, 
uh, you're going to go get better elsewhere. So that's uh, that's kind of how things stand right now in state. And then you look at the next year, the top three in state right now, um, Cam Pringle, Josiah Thompson, Mazio Bennett, you know, all four-star guys, probably all lean to South Carolina at this point. So it's been a pretty good recruiting run uh, for the Gamecocks. And certainly, uh, certainly that's the news of the day uh, as far as uh, the Gamecock athletics go. You know, June all of a sudden has become like a huge recruiting month. Uh, also, thanks to Heritage Digital, obviously, for sponsoring that first segment of the show. And I want to tell you now about Cindy Searfoss Realtor who sponsors this segment of the show. We call it the analysis segment. Uh, Cindy Searfoss with Colwell Banker Kane Real Estate. She's married to a diehard Gamecock fan. She's been in the upstate for over 35 years and would love to help with any of your real estate needs. You can contact Cindy, 864-414-5271, or email her, ccearfoss, C-S-E-A-R-F-O-S-S, at cbcane, C-B-C-A-I-N-E, dot com. Right there in my hometown of Spartanburg, Daniel Morgan Avenue, uh, can help with just about any county in the upstate. Uh, can certainly, uh, you know, get your search correct. If you're searching for a new home, if you're looking to sell, uh, Cindy's your person uh, to get out there and, and make it happen. I got an email from a listener. Uh, I'll tell you this right now while we're talking uh, from John. He said, moving back to South Carolina and Greenville, just wanted to tell you, I called Cindy because of the advertisement on your show. She was pleased. All right. I appreciate it, man. And also, congratulations on moving back to the motherland. <laughs> Greenville is a great place to live. My mother lives in Greenville. My Really, my, I guess one of my brothers lives in Spartanburg County, but the other two live in Greenville. And, you know, we're from Spartanburg originally, but uh, Greenville seems to be where it's at. And certainly, uh, you can't go wrong living in that place. My friends call it clean living. So clean living in Greenville, uh, South Carolina. And uh, certainly, uh, Cindy can help you find your perfect home uh, in Greenville uh, if you want her to. So, you know, just kind of looking at recruiting in the month of uh, the month of June, it's one of those things, uh, you know, that's that's new uh, in this ever changing college football environment. Really, the last couple of years with uh, summer official visits. The, the previous staff was pretty successful with it too. Uh, you know, you, you kind of look at this staff and uh, I sort of think that last year they were chomping at the bit. Uh, and I think they are this year too. I mean, these guys love recruiting and that's that's uh, obvious <laughs> with, with sort of uh, how they are able to roll um, here in the summer. And, and this weekend uh, coming up, starting June 24th, uh, it's just critical, you know, when, when you start thinking about the number of players coming in, uh, the number of uh, targets, top targets. Uh, there's some commits coming in, too. In fact, Trovon Ball, four-star offensive guard who committed in May, and also Zabari Sandy, who I mentioned earlier, the safety from D.C. is coming in. But uh, here we go. Five-star DN, Shandavian Bradley. Uh, now, there was a little piece on our website on thebigspur.com from our Oklahoma guys. Uh, good guys, work hard. Always have on that site, if you if any of you followed the Oklahoma coaching search last year, they've always got interesting stuff to say. You know, it may not always pan out, but they've got interesting stuff to say. And the Gamecocks have made quite an impression on this kid from Plant County, Missouri. 
Uh, he's six foot four and a half, 215 pounds, is a five star, the number five edge in the country. You know, it's one of those things where you look at Tennessee, right? And, and, and look, the report was that, uh, and I mentioned this, it, the, the, the point was, was that you know, that was made by our Oklahoma guys were that was that uh, NIL isn't going to matter for this kid. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know because, you know, here's a kid from the Kansas city metropolitan area that, you know, like South Carolina and his sister, you know, his sister lives. Uh, I think she's at Shaw in Sumter. Um, and so that's a big deal, you know, for the Gamecocks. So, so you got that, but then you got Tennessee and Texas A&M up there too. So I don't know, you know, it's kind of a strange deal. I, I do know with the family connection, that's probably, you know, something that needs to be considered, you know, about that, you know, a little bit strongly, but you looked at the NIL thing and you're like, ah, well, you know, Carolina's giving it a good shot, but, you know, you combine what the Oklahoma guy said, and again, you know, who knows what will ultimately happen. You combine the family connections and then Sterling Lucas guys, uh, you know, he's got to close the deal on some of these folks, but he's actually getting after it in recruiting. Now, so did Mike Peterson, and, and sometimes Mike, you know, he would close on guys, but he wouldn't always close, you know. And so Sterling's got to close, uh, hopefully at a higher clip uh, than Mike Peterson. That's nothing against Mike Peterson. I mean, uh, the guy – you know, recruiting was one thing, but his relationship with current players was another. I mean, you, know, you, you want to know who got Jordan Birch? It was Mike Peterson and and Will Muschamp. You know, it, that's that's an example. So that's a pretty good piece of closing right there, right? Uh, but then there were other times out of state he would get in battles and lose. Uh, and that's just kind of how it goes. And I'm not saying Sterling Lucas won't lose, but uh, if Sterling Lucas can start to close – you know, Reigns, uh from Sumter, that's that's in-state, obviously. That should be a guy he gets. But then, you know, Bradley from Missouri, uh, Harvey from North Carolina at Edge, and then the, the Edge, whose name I can't pronounce right now, from Maryland that visited. You know, that's a battle you're getting into. Obviously, the Gamecocks went and battled for an Edge uh, in last year's class in Maryland and lost at the end to the Terps. But – you know, Sterling Lucas so far, I would say it's been really good. And I'd also say this, you know, you look in the Jacksonville area and, and I'll tell you this, I, I'm not, I'm not changing my tune on Jacksonville because I still believe that, you know, when you look at that area and you look at the history there with recruits, it's not always panned out, but it is close to South Carolina. Uh, the campus is four hours away. Uh, a guy like Connor Cox, a guy like Cameron Upshaw, who kind of fits what you want, or, you know, I'm, I'm for taking those guys. And then Grayson Howard and Jaden Robinson, uh, two linebackers in that the northern Florida area of Howard's from Jacksonville proper. And then you have Jaden Robinson from Lake City, Columbia. You know, those guys, uh, they're pretty good players. Now, will they all pan out? I don't know. You know, maybe I'm sitting here going, ah, shouldn't have, shouldn't have recruited Jacksonville, told you. Uh, and I still maintain, just like in Atlanta, and you know, there's more players in Atlanta, so you know, you you you're, it's more of a you know a grab bag. You know, Jacksonville does put out recruits, but you have to be careful. 
Um, and, you know, there's no way to kind of determine uh, what being careful is. <laughs> Uh, so what I've done is look at the individuals and then you look at Upshaw, who's not, not really Jacksonville, it's more big bend area, but uh, you know, six, two and a half, one I'll take that, you know, Grayson Howard will strike you. Um, and as a baller, I think, you know, when you just look at how he plays the game, I'll take that Jaden Robinson, same thing. And Jaden's kind of from a school though, where they do pan out. Um, Connor Cox, uh, like I said, yeah, I trust, I trust Eric Kimry. I trust Jody Wright with their evals on it. He's a big framed kid uh, from Bowles, you know, and uh, we'll see how it turns out. Uh, but, uh, you know, so far with the Northern Florida kids, I'm not, you know, I, I haven't seen anything where I've gone, ah, I don't know about this guy. <laughs> so, so that's pretty good. Um, and Sterling Lucas, to my point, ha has done a good job there. So Shandani Bradley, you know, here he comes, uh, made an unofficial visit, enjoyed it, and an official visit. And and he said, you know, uh, he's one that gets on social media and talks about it. Even before he visited, he said South Carolina's a legit sleeper. Um, and then so you got the family connection there. Getting this guy would be gigantic, you know. Uh, and look, six four and a half, two fifteen. 215, you know, he's going to probably have to get to 240, obviously, to, to play edge in this league. But that can be done over, I mean, you know, you got his senior year of football and then you got another summer. I mean, you know, he could step in pretty much right away. And, and the thing about a guy like this is you can't get scared off if you're just looking at it going, gosh, he's thin. Uh, because at this time in development with a lot of these guys, you know, you have to um, look at the frame and the quick first step and then the tools uh, more so than like what, you know, he's not a finished product is what I'm trying to say. Uh, and there's been guys like that, you know, that we've seen KJ Henry at Clemson is a guy like that where he was a five-star guy and, you know, it's taken him a while, but he's gotten bigger or whatever. Some guys get bigger quicker. Uh, Travian Robertson, when he came in was only 220 and then a couple of years, bam, he's inside at 305. Uh, you know, Cliff Matthews was a little light when he came in. Devin Taylor obviously uh, was light when he came in. And, and you know, I'll, I'll compare the two now. Devin Taylor versus Darius English. You know, Devin Taylor, the weight came on pretty quick. You know, his redshirt freshman year, he's starting first play of the game against NC State. He forces a fumble and set the stage for a great career. Gamecocks kind of stole him. Shane Beamer got him uh, when he was an assistant out of Buford High School. I think he beat Duke and Virginia Tech on him. Uh, and then Darius English, who had a really good finish to his career at Carolina, it was it, it took some years for him to to get the four star guy, but it took a while for him to put on the weight. Even at that, he, he he was always on the thinner side. So, you know, guys like this sometimes they they gain it quick, sometimes they don't. But what you look for is the explosiveness and the quick first step and the ability to, you know, the get off or whatever. And this guy is the elite in all of those areas. Uh, so Shandavian Bradley, you know, that's a, that's a guy that I kind of a month ago, I said, hey, he's just flirting with South Carolina. Now, you know, I, I think the Gamecocks, you know, are a factor when you combine everything. Do, would I crystal ball him to the Gamecocks right now? No. Uh, Tennessee kind of, to me, would follow the, the stronger, longer category. And you do know that they're, NIL situation up there is 
pretty much public, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, and all that. And then A&M, obviously. But there's something about Carolina that keeps drawing this guy back. And it's not just that his sister is local. I think it's the, the relationships and, and the feeling and all that. And sometimes you get a kid like that. I mean, we've seen the guys up the road in the upstate before they were winning national championships. You'd have kids that just got that feeling when they were there. Uh, and that spoke then at the time to the culture. We talk about culture all the time uh, that Dabo Sweeney was building. And uh, look, it paid off. Uh, and and it, it paid off eventually. You know, so you can't just sit there and say, you know, this isn't important until you win. No, that's putting the cart before the horse. You know, sometimes having a great culture, even when you're not winning championships, allows you to win those battles that, that could win a national championship or could win a conference championship. And Shandavia and Bradley getting a five-star edge from halfway across the country uh, would be an unbelievable uh, piece of recruiting for the South Carolina Gamecocks. Now, like I said, not predicting it right now. We'll see how the official visit goes, but circle that one. You know, in terms of big-time guys who you maybe know what didn't think Carolina had a great shot at that, you know, Carolina could end up getting. Marquis Anderson's coming in, the offensive lineman from Dorman. Uh everybody's kind of thought, hey, he's the guy that's going to break the Dorman streak for the Gamecocks. And um, I think that's pretty legit. The number 125 player in the country, number two player in the state, 6'4 and a half, 305. Uh, projected as an interior guy, I think he could play either. Uh, good enough to do anywhere on the offensive line, in my opinion, upside-wise. Uh, kind of like a South Carolina-North Carolina battle here uh but north carolina's behind uh you know i think the gamecocks are in really good shape uh you know clemson as far as you know i mean they were a little late in offering him but you know i don't know just seems kind of i don't know i don't know why uh thomas austin and uh the tigers have not been you know a little bit more uh successful with him but obviously the gamecocks will take it (laughs) and uh are trending uh, Aiden Williams, uh, six foot three, hundred ninety five pound, fast wide receiver from Ridgeland, Mississippi. Can the Gamecocks pull another one out of the Magnolia State? Uh, seems interested. You know, obviously, Ole Miss has an outstanding offense. Uh, you know, you're going to get a lot of balls there. It's in state, but you know, Carolina landed Stone Blanton, and they landed Corey Rucker, uh, a transfer from Arkansas State, who came in this summer, uh, who's from. Yazoo City, Mississippi. So, uh, you know, I I kind of like it, you know, spot recruit. Mississippi, uh, every year they have players, you know. A lot of them don't qualify, and that's fine because they feed their JUCO system and then they get them back. Uh, some do. Uh, per capita, it's one of the best states in the country, NFL player-wise. So nothing wrong with trying to pluck a guy or two out of Mississippi per cycle. Maybe you can do it. T.J. Searcy, a four-star defensive lineman from Upson Lee High School in Thomaston, Georgia. Tennessee is a big factor here. Florida State seemed to be, and maybe they faded a little bit. They got a crystal ball early. Um, you know, all that good stuff. It, uh, you know, it's uh, one of those things. So uh, we'll see sort of what happens, uh, you know, with him and 
you know, what, uh, what goes on with him. I, I, I would think, you know, the Gamecocks may be slightly behind going into it, but uh, I'm not sure. Treyon Webb, four-star running back from Trinity Christian in Jacksonville, 61205. You've heard all about him. Was committed to Oklahoma, was favored in Georgia for a while. Uh, looks like Gators are Gamecocks right now. Uh, I still think the Gators are getting him at the end of the day. Uh, but something about the Gamecocks keeps him coming back. Uh, I mentioned Grayson Howard. He's another Jacksonville kid from Andrew Jackson. Uh, Pup Howard, I guess what they call him. Uh, really good player. Uh, all that good stuff. We've mentioned him. 6'3", 225. So, a big kid. Really, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I like him. You know, he, he's the type of guy that, you know, if he happens to eat too much and, and you know, like Melvin Ingram and get up to 260, you can always play him at edge. But, uh you know, that's uh, – but, uh, you know, that's kind of the deal there. Trovon Ball, visiting. Big pickup, interior offensive lineman, athletic. Uh, I've said reminds me of Chris White. Uh, you name your interior offensive lineman at Carolina uh, that's been successful over the years. Pace Academy in Atlanta, Gamecocks beat out Arkansas and some others on him. Uh, he's visiting officially this weekend. Jaden Robinson uh, is the other linebacker, 6'1", 215, six foot and a half, 215, from Lake City, Columbia. You know, you know, that's a school where you can really rarely go wrong getting players out of. Uh, and so Gamecocks are leaders on the crystal ball, all that good stuff. Sabari Sandy, the safety from D.C., is visiting this weekend. He is uh, committed. I mentioned D.J. Geth, the other off offensive lineman from Norman, you know, 6'4", 300. Uh, dad was Ed Geth that played for North Carolina's national championship team. Uh, he's gotten some crystal balls for South Carolina. Uh, so he and Marquis Anderson, maybe they're guys that can come in. Uh, athlete Vakari Swain from Carrollton, Georgia, uh, Central High School, is visiting this weekend don't know exactly what's going on with him as far as what position. I think he's a DB. Uh, and then C.J. Adams, a big receiver from Pebble Brook and Mableton, Georgia, sort of a sleeper guy there. So there we go. That's how it is right now. Uh, Big-time receiver Tyler Williams, a big-time receiver prospect, Tyler Williams from Lakeland, Florida, made an official visit this past week or on a Tuesday last week, uh, one week ago. Um, had good things to say. Gamecocks are chasing Georgia with him a little bit, maybe Alabama. So I, uh, you know, who knows? Who knows what the deal is there? So you've got uh, those official visitors coming in. There's 12 of them this weekend. Certainly a great time to be excited uh, if you're the Gamecocks. So that's. Uh, that's good there. All right. So I also have, you know, Shane Beamer doing some uh, media. And uh, I'll say this about Coach Beamer. He is uh, he is outstanding, you know, as far as honoring media commitments. He did something on Reddit. <laughs> I, I don't I can't remember a Carolina coach doing anything on Reddit, you know. Uh, and, and Will Muschamp. He would he would do the media tour. He had times where he did it and all that good stuff. So does Beamer for a certain extent. But he's out there, you know, promoting South Carolina football. 
we're not satisfied with seven wins. We have higher expectations. We're working hard to get beyond that. And, and that kind of brings you to, you know, because right now is the time of year everybody's asking, how many South Carolina going to win, over, under, whatever. I don't like to answer that. Uh, I, I just, you know, you, you kind of look at things over the years, and I haven't, uh, you know, I haven't, uh, I, you know, I, I've, I've been right before. I've been close before. But, you know, it, it's been one of those things. You know, you, you look at the 2018 team, all right, I predicted 11 and two because I was like, well, they once they went three to six to nine, and you got a new offense. You got a lot of talent at receiver, obviously they did, and running back. You know, you've, you've got enough on defense. And, and where I went wrong that year is even had they not had a massive, massive amount of injuries, and they did, uh, to where it gutted that defense, that defense still was not, especially the, the D-line. You know, because after because they lost Dante Sawyer, they lost Taylor Stallworth off the team. You know, DJ Wanham had a bunch of injuries that year, uh, and then the secondary was very young and, and inexperienced. So, I, uh, you know, I looked at it, and you know, I think I overshot it and said, "Well, Muschamp's a good defensive coach; they'll be fine on defense," and they just weren't. Uh, and then you had games where the offense just did not click. It was a very, it was a very good offense statistically, and it was an offense that was capable of putting up yardage and numbers, but it was inconsistent. Uh, Kentucky game comes to mind. You know, first half. I mean, you know, you score twenty three points in the second half against AM, zero in the first. You know, lost that one by three. Uh, Kentucky, there were guys running wide open. That was just a bad night for Jake Bentley. Um, you know, the Clemson game, by that point, Carolina wasn't stopping anybody. Uh, you know, and then that Florida game that they blew, you know. So, so you – I was off, obviously. <laughs> but I don't know that I was too – you know, I, could they have won 11 and some things bounced their way at a little bit better game, this this, this, and that? Uh, I think so. And then, you know, I, I the year they won nine under Muschamp, I said, well, if they win six, it'll be good because that – schedule looked like a bear well then Tennessee and Florida and Arkansas all tank all I think everybody got fired you know and the Gamecocks did not struggle with Wofford (laughs) that year (laughs) they made sure they won that one um you know and then beating Missouri and NC State away from home uh early uh was big in, in that season that season was not beautiful I mean the Louisiana Tech game alone should tell you that they did lose to AM when they probably could have won it and all that good stuff. But, you know, that nine games. So I was wrong on that, you know. And I, I now I will say this I said last year, there's no reason why Carolina couldn't get to a bowl and win it. I even told Josh Pate I thought the game cost would win seven plus the bowl. And he, he didn't agree then. Uh, that was during the summer, but, uh, you know, they ended up doing it. So, so I, I don't know, you know, what I like to talk about when I talk about season predictions is I like to talk about um, variables and scenarios because just about every single football game is determined by scenarios. Yes, you have uh, a point spread and yes, you have favorites and yes, you have teams that can just out talent you and all that, but you know, there are various scenarios. And when you look at the results, you know, you can go through any football game and there's a lot of ifs, 
a lot of ifs. Um, you know, uh, what if? <laughs> uh, I mean, let me, let me think of a good – like that Kentucky game in 2018. Now, let's say that Kentucky game last year. Let's bring it up a notch. So 16 to 10 is the final. Game guys kicked a late field goal and cut it to 16-10. What if they didn't have the incomplete passes, drops, whatever, on, on fourth down? You know, because quite frankly, you hit that pass and you're in business to at least get a field goal. You know, what if on one of those fumbles, a player takes it up and runs with it and scores a defensive touchdown? Uh, what if, you know, there's a lot of what ifs, right? A lot of what ifs in any football game. And and so that's the thing. I mean, to pull an upset, like, okay, so we'll go 2019 Georgia where Carolina won. Um, and, uh, you know, the what if during that one is, you know, play a lot of good defense, don't let, uh, you know, force a lot of turnovers. That's what's happened in that game. Uh, and get it to the fourth quarter. And that's what the Gamecocks did. Maybe score a defensive touchdown. Oh, yeah, check that box, too. Uh, now, that one was completely improbable because, you know, Holinsky starts that game and actually had probably his best half of football, all things considered, at Carolina. And he's 15 for 20, and the Gamecocks are moving it somewhat. Well, then he gets hurt, and, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, Jordan has to come in. Jordan did a great job filling in. And but the Gamecocks' defense, their defensive line in particular, just played probably the best game of the Muschamp era by a defensive line. Uh, and then, you know, the Georgia quarterback was just off in that game. Uh, so, heck. You take it. But that's the scenario they would have won. Any other scenarios? I don't know. You know, any other scenarios? I don't know. You know, you, you look this past year, you know, what's the scenario where Carolina beats Florida and Auburn? Well, run the football. North Carolina, run the football, stop the run. You know, you don't do that, probably not going to happen. <laughs> so that's kind of the deal there. And that's my that's my feeling about predicting season wins. Now, are the Gamecocks capable under certain scenarios of winning seven plus? I agree. I mean, no doubt. There are more weapons on the team this year than there have been. It's a, uh, it's a team that offensively has restructured, you know, re has loaded. I don't want to say reloaded because there's one a lot there last year. There, there's players there. Uh, and there's an ability, I think, to uh, to make things happen uh, on that side of the ball. Uh, the defense is an older group. You know, you got Cam Smith, who's getting all kinds of uh, hype in the preseason, but also Darius Rush and Marcellus Dial had pretty good years last year. People forget Cam Smith didn't even play in the bowl game. Um, safety, uh, well, Devonnie Reed and some newcomers solidified back there. You still got R.J. Roderick. The linebackers with uh, Johnson and Green are combined 47 years old. Older players, you know, help 139 starts combined on the offensive line. This is an older football team with uh, with some very good young players. You know, uh, Zach Pickens isn't young anymore. <laughs> He's an older guy. Uh, I think you look on the defensive line, though, Boogie Huntley and Donka Hemingway are going into their third year. You know, obviously the COVID year was uh, 
uh, tough on everybody. Uh, you got guys like TJ Sanders and, and Nick Barrett on the interior. You know, Terrell Dawkins comes in to help uh, at defensive end. Uh, and you got Birch and uh, Jordan Strong, and I think uh, as a pass rusher, you know, can really make some things happen this season. So you got – you have enough players there. The, the, the problem is when you go to predict a season, you look at it, and, you know, Arkansas, they're expecting to be even better than they were last year, and they won nine. You go out there, uh, then you got the defending national champs coming in, uh, and these are the first four SEC games. Then you go to Kentucky, and then – you know, your fourth game is October 22nd, a good ways into the season. This is your fourth conference game, and it's at home against A&M, who you have not beaten. You have not beaten. You know, the only team in those first four games that, that Carolina's had a lot of success with recently is Arkansas, and they've only played them twice in the last 10 years. Now they've scored a combined 100, 100 to 29 in those games. Uh, but this is a different Arkansas team, different Arkansas program right now. So, you know, you kind of look at it and you go, oh, gosh, you know, Carolina hadn't really done that well against those guys. Uh, Georgia, Kentucky, Texas A&M, I mean, it just hadn't been that way. Those are the first four. I think people get confused when they look at the schedule. Or not confused, but you sort of look at it and you go, oh, Georgia State, Charlotte, SC State, three and one, whatever. And that's fine. But the first four conference games, are, are that's a beast. And that's not even, you know, then you got a trip of the swamp. You got Tennessee coming in. You play at Vanderbilt. And then uh, one more, Missouri at home. So it lightens up with your Missouri's Vanderbilt's. Uh, I, I, you know, as, as much hype as Tennessee is getting this offseason, you know, I, that, that series goes in threes and it's in Columbia. So you kind of like Carolina's chances. Uh, I hope they, I hope. Missouri's a big deal. You know, going to the swamp's always hard, but uh, and then Clemson's still on the schedule. So it's uh, it doesn't get much easier the second half, other than how it sets up. Uh, you know, overall, I, I think if, you, if you're talking about overall, you'd say the first half's easier because of the non-conference games. But you know, when you just look at the SEC and then the game at the end, it's a uh, it's a tough start and a tough finish. And so you don't know because everybody's everybody's recruiting, everybody's hit the portal, everybody's doing well. I tend to think the hope is the offense clicks, uh, that Carolina has a passing game this year that allows it to open up the run game. And, and that sounds weird to say, but I think a lot of teams last year just said, but you've got a revolving door quarterback and really only a handful of receivers that can make plays. So we're just going to, keep you from running the ball with Kevin Harris and whoever else. And, you know, good luck. And it just didn't work out because protection or whatever, you know, this year, there's really no excuse for the offensive line not to have its best year collectively 139 combined starts up there. Um, Depth another year. I mean, you know, obviously that group struggled with the new system last season, uh, no matter what you want to believe about it, uh, you know, they didn't look like they knew what they were doing a lot. So, uh, you know, you got to hope that one more year in the system uh, and they can make things happen. You know, I think there's a lot fundamentally they have to clean up. But, uh, you know, that's it. that could be, you know, look, if you have an offensive line that experienced, uh, the excuses go out the window pretty quick. 
in, in my opinion. So, you know, as far as predicting the season, I, I'll give a prediction at some point, I would think, or give you a range. I would much rather range, range it and say, oh, six, ten, then, then, then say, oh, seven. Then I'm married to it. And, and you know, you have a one in 12 chance of being right because <laughs> it could be that, could be that. So, you know, we'll see what happens uh, moving forward. But yeah, I'm always asked to do that. I'm like, ah, I don't want to do it. So, uh, for our CBS video that you could check out uh, on the uh, on the bigspur.com, John Whittle uh, got that, and I certainly appreciate him stepping up and doing it. The CBS folks wanted it, so that's why he gave a season prediction. But you know, Tony and I on the website, we, we kind of like to avoid all that, so we'll see sort of what happens there. All right, it's everybody's favorite segment now the iHelp Consulting Mailbag. And uh, we'll be back with that. Um, back with that uh, right after this from Tony Pope, State Farm Insurance. Just as your State Farm agent combines good neighbor service with surprisingly great rates, you can combine your home, auto, life, or small business insurance with Tony Pope State Farm Insurance today. And guess what you'll get? That's right, even more good neighbor service with surprisingly great rates. In fact, Tony Pope State Farm is your go-to agent anywhere in South Carolina, North Carolina, or Georgia for the service you deserve at the price you want. So try combining your home, life, auto, and or small business insurance today. Tony Pope State Farm has been in business for more than 30 years and can handle anything you need in the tri-state area. Once again, Tony Pope State Farm will help you mix and match perfectly. Call 843-851-2222 or visit TonyPope.com today. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, back and ready for the iHealth Consulting Mailbag. There are two ways to get into the iHealth Consulting Mailbag. The first way is to tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Um, but uh, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of talk about the Spurs up show. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Uh, I don't want to get into who's the better podcast on Twitter, but I appreciate the, the fine words. Um, the kind words about this podcast. And look, like I said, it's going to a daily format and all that good stuff. So there's going to be a lot more, uh, a lot more to uh, to go on uh, as we move forward. Uh, a lot more for you to digest on this show. But I appreciate all the kind words. I'm not going to go through and read all this stuff. Uh, Phil says, and he says, JC, even though I missed the show, I'm happier that you're happy. Congrats on the engagement. Um, and he goes, desperately waiting for a new Big Spur pod to drop to distract from me, to distract me from the crumbling economy and country news. Yeah, look, I, I'm an avid consumer of news, like political news, especially economic news. And that's kind of because sports is my job. That stuff's kind of become a hobby. And I'll talk about it a lot, and it's hard sometimes not to. But uh, like my fiance tells me sometimes, she's like, why do you read this stuff? It just gets you upset and depressed and, and all this. And I'm like, well, I'd like to be informed. And look, I read everything. I'll read everything from like the New Yorker and the Atlantic, uh, your quote unquote far, you know, I, I don't read a whole lot of Slate or Salon, uh, you know, that Mother Jones, that kind of stuff. Like, the Daily Beast is as far 
probably crazy to the left as I get. And I also don't read a lot of the conspiracy, you know, things on the right. I think they both have their share. Uh, man, I'll read Fox News, Breitbart, you know, whatever. Some people may say Breitbart's that way. But uh, look, I honestly, I uh, I go uh, and consume it all. And I watch the news and, it, you know, I don't care where the news is uh, originating, the left or the right. I consume it all because, you know, I have my opinions and beliefs and uh, I want to see what people that don't share those opinions and beliefs have to say. Because if you only get stuff from one side, you know, how are you supposed to win a debate, right? If you don't, you know, if you don't have that. So, uh, okay. So there you go. And yeah, I'm glad I could distract you. So, okay. Golf cock, Jim Golfcox says, love the recruiting that's happening. Just waiting for the big name receiver, running back, defensive end or defensive lineman. That's either four or five stars to commit. That would grab attention from all over. I know the stars don't matter, but it helps to get others. Yeah, and then they do matter in that standpoint. I, I get where I get frustrated with the star debate, Jim, is when you have a three-star player commit and you look and you say, like Cam Sandlin from Alabama. All right, so let's check some boxes here. All right, he's coming as a tight end. You got to project him a lot because he's a high school quarterback, right? But he's 6'4", 220. Okay, well, can he run? Yes. Uh, is he athletic? Yes. Does he have hands? We don't know yet. But maybe he could play DM or linebacker if he can. Uh, depending on how physical he is. So, so you start to check the boxes, and, and then you see statements on the website, on the Big Spur, or wherever, like, ah, another three-star guy uh, didn't move the needle. You know, I'm like, well, you have eight. And in other words, you didn't move the ranking up. I'm like, you had eight commits. One's not even rated. That's Judge Collier's. He counts as a zero. It's like having an incomplete, um, you know, and you got a lot of big timers left on the board. Uh, and that's where I get frustrated with the star debate is like people, I don't want to say they're lazy, but they just they just chalk things up as, oh. And then they come up with these theories like, oh, the vast majority of three stars don't pan out. Well, it depends on what you mean by pan out, first and foremost. And second, you know, you look, there's a lot of three-star players in the NFL. And so then you say, well, there's more three-stars that got drafted a lot of times than than, uh, than four and five-stars. Yeah, but the percentage is higher and blah, 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 blah. All right, that's fine, too. But, but I'll say this. There is no magic line between a high three-star and a low four-star. None. In fact, I think if you broke it down and said, okay, the guys rated like 88, 89 versus the guys that are like 90 or the high 89 that slip in, you know, you take that little group, uh, I would venture to say that the high three stars probably have them beat, but I don't know that for sure. Uh, It would kind of depend on your range. Um, And so there's no like, you know, like Landon Sampson, one of the highest three stars you could have. So, you know. Is he going to be as good as the guy that's like 0.9011, you know, that somebody evaluated once that, you know, they just stuck there because they didn't want to move him down? I don't know. I don't know. So, so we'll see sort of what happens. So it's good. All right. So Cox talking Gamecocks has decided to uh, jump in on my audience here. That's fine. 
I think the Gamecock podcast ecosystem, it helps me uh, and other podcasters the more there is, uh, just because people nowadays are like, they're just getting into podcasts and, and they're not just listening to one. So yeah, that's fine with me too. All right. So back to Jim's question. I was looking at the question ahead on Twitter. Uh, back to Jim's question, big name receiver. I, I'm going to tell you this, uh, for my money, uh, Carmelo Taylor from Roanoke, Virginia. Uh, and look, he's an 89, a high three-star. Dude, don't sleep on this guy. I mean, I looked at his track times. I looked at his film for the life of me. You know, I think he's just one of those Virginia kids that's in Roanoke and not in Nova or the 757 or Richmond. Uh, you know, Virginia Tech sometimes will go sneak over to Roanoke and keep a kid under the radar. Next thing you know, that kid's all ACC and in the NFL. I mean, this kid's big time, and the Gamecocks are in on him. They, I think they led after his visit, but there's your guy. If you're looking for a big-time receiver, there's, your, there's the guy you circle. And I like him as well as, it, you know, Great House, uh, who's on the board, uh, Kelton Henderson, who they got, uh, even a guy like Noah Rogers. Because uh, I'll say this. You know, sometimes you have fast guys like like Jalen Hyatt, who went to Tennessee from Dutch Fork, who the previous staff passed on. And maybe there is some question, even though they have speed, about their skill. And you watch and you can kind of tell, well, this is just a fast guy. You can coach him up or whatever. And, look, they've coached Jalen up, and I, I think Jalen will probably have a pretty good year at Tennessee because uh, you, uh, you can't coach what he has. With Carmelo Taylor – it's not just fast guy. I mean, this is a guy's got hand. You can tell by the way he catches it, hands, wiggle, speed. Uh, shoot, man. I mean, he's he's better than a lot of the guys that you know people get upset about missing. I mean, like Tyler Williams, who visited the kid from um, Lakeland. I mean, like I love Tyler Williams, and I think he's a, got a chance to have a big time career wherever he goes. I don't know that I wouldn't take Carmelo Taylor over him right now. I mean, Carmelo's 6'1", Tyler's 6'3". They're both fast, both kind of thin. I mean, I, I don't know. So, there's your receiver. Running back, uh, Dontavious Braswell, to me, is where it begins and ends. Trey on Webb, obviously, the Gamecocks are in it. I think Braswell's the guy. Um, and, again, speed. I, I, he's a track guy. He's 5'11", 200. Probably play college ball about 215, can can run, can catch, uh, all that other stuff. Uh, the defensive line, you know, Rames is a guy. Uh, locally, it's a four-star guy. There's McLeod, who's still out there. But I mentioned uh, Bradley uh, from Missouri, and I went on and on about him, who's visiting this weekend. There's your four- and five-star guy right there. Uh, so, yeah, Jay Gibbs says, day 11 without a new podcast for the Vicksburg Pod. Is there life anymore? Uh, and here we go Gamecock Pastor who is also here on the Twitter line JC we've missed you just wanted to say congratulations we're all super excited for you no questions this time just a JC appreciation tweet thought about you yesterday (laughs) I know your dad is proud of you and all that you have accomplished and the guy you are well thanks (laughs) Father's Day sometimes is a little difficult two days ago. Uh, but thanks, Gabe God Pastor. I appreciate it, man. Uh, Thomas comes in, and Thomas is a pretty strong uh, questioner here. 
uh, on the Big Spur Pod. Again, at the Big Spur Pod on Twitter to get into the IELTS Consulting Mailbag. And then there's another way I'll tell you about it here in a second. Hey, JC, who do you think will be our number one running back this year? I remember expectations were high, but the injury definitely impacted performance. And Carolina picked up a couple from the portal. I'm just curious what you think the running back position will look like. I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about Marshawn Lloyd. Uh, look, man, Marshawn Lloyd, people say, oh, the injury got him or whatever. Um, and look, I think in the bowl game, the injury you know, took him out of action. Who knows what would have happened had he played in that bowl game because he allegedly had a really had his best week of practice. He didn't have white there. I, I think he had bad luck, too. I mean, you go into the game and it's like, you know, okay, time for Marshawn to play. Marshawn gets in there, catches a little pass, runs for a while, has a big run, whatever. Next thing you know, you know, somebody's coming off the edge unblocked and just lights him up. I mean, I, I haven't seen a Gamecock running back since Marcus Lattimore take the hits that Lloyd has. You know, Lattimore took some hits because, you know, Lattimore's offensive lines were good, not great. Uh, and he wasn't, you know, he part of that part of his game was taking hits and being physical. But Lloyd, man, oh man, it, it, was, it was just almost weird how it happened. Almost weird how it happened. Uh, but I think I think Marshawn Lloyd and Christian Bill Smith are your top two with McDowell getting a lot of carries. People don't need to sleep on Juju McDowell. He every time he touches the ball, he's productive. Uh and I think he'll play a role similar to last year and probably will be the return specialist, kickoff return specialist. Uh, Bill Smith, I love the way he hits the hole, which is significant because at um, at Wake Forest, they run kind of that mesh point offense where there's a slight delay before, you know, taking the handoff or whatever. I think now in this system, he's probably happy because he can just hit the hole and that's what he does best. Uh, and look, I think Rashad Amos is good. I think Lavoisier Carroll, uh, you just got to give him a little bit of time to get reaccustomed to position. But, you know, man, he's a four or five guy out of high school, one of the top running back prospects in the country, you know, played corner kind of out of necessity at Georgia's first year. Uh, and then, you know, I mentioned Dontavious Braswell and then uh, Trayon Webb in this class. So, you know, but I, I think I think Lloyd is probably going to be the starter with Beal Smith behind him, McDowell. Uh, and Amos will play kind of different roles, but we'll play. Uh, and then Carol, you know, watch him as the year goes on. Okay. Gave my pastor back with another question. That question, the tweet he sent in just then was from the other day. Some of the discussion on JC and Morgan makes me want to dig deeper. It would be tough for Rattler to be on the Mount Rushmore Gamecocks in one year, short of a Heisman or a championship. In your opinion, J.C., who are the top four Carolina quarterbacks of all time? I've got to go with Connor Shaw. Okay. I'll go with Shaw. Uh, I'll go with Jeff Grant from back in the day. Uh, two dual threat guys. Uh, I'll go with uh, Todd Ellis. He's the leading passer in the history. If Jake Bentley had broken Todd Ellis's record and stayed healthy, I probably would have gone with Jake, but he didn't. And so I'll go Todd Ellis there. He's got to be on there. And it's not like the Gamecocks didn't win when Todd Ellis uh, was around as the quarterback. And then I'll go with Steven Garcia. Uh, and I'll tell you why. 
people are going to, oh, well, he got kicked off the team or whatever. But do you guys realize Stephen Garcia was four and one against Georgia and Clemson? And the one he lost against those two guys, against those two teams, was a 41 37 shootout. And he had the team at the, the, the dogs' 10 yard line at the end and up through an incompletion or whatever. Georgia held on to win. I mean, that guy, you know, think about the game against Florida for the SEC East Championship. I mean, Stephen really, you know, was part of. Two probably the two biggest wins in program history in 2010 when Carolina beat Bama and then beat Florida for the uh, for the East. You know, beating Clemson is nice, and uh, beating uh, whoever else is nice. You know, win, winning 11 games, winning the Citrus Bowl is nice, but you know when you win a game and hardware is involved, that's what it's all about. And Carolina went there against Urban Meyer at night in the swamp after the Gators returned the opening kickoff for a touchdown with a division title on the line and whipped them soundly 36-14. I know Lattimore ran crazy in that game, but Steven made some clutch passes, and then nobody will ever forget the end when Steven took the ball and ran over Will Hill in the end zone and barked at him. Uh, That that game was an undervalued moment because – you know, like I said, people talk about Clemson winning close to the game. People love to beat Georgia. Uh, the Alabama game will always live in infamy that year. But, uh, you know, I mean, look, to put the Alabama game in perspective, you know, Saban and the Tide lost that one to Carolina. They did not lose again to the uh, SEC East until the national championship game this year against Georgia. So think about that for a minute. Um. No losses to an East team. <laughs> that's, that's pretty impressive. So, uh, you know, that, that game stuff. So, so for those reasons and for that year and, and all that, and, and keep in mind, too, Garcia led a win over what was then a top five Ole Miss team, which was, at that point was the largest, win, you know, highest ranked team Carolina had ever beaten at home uh, in 09. Um, keep in mind, too, he was part of the, a, a nice uh, comeback win at Kentucky in 08. And then Tennessee, Gamecocks beat Tennessee 27-6. I think Fulmer got fired after that, that year. I mean, you know, so even though he was kind of on and off the bench in 08, he, he was part of, you know, that team was not very good in 2008. But uh, he was part of some wins. So I'd have to put Garcia on there. It's all a matter of opinion. So Garcia, Ellis, Jeff Grants, and Connor Shaw, uh, of course, you know, if I had to have four. Uh, Carolina quarterbacks, and there's nothing against Steve Tannehill, Jake Bentley, Mike Hold, Anthony Wright, Bobby Fuller, uh, you know, whoever you want to talk about, you know, Blake Mitchell, Savelle Newton, you know, it can go, we can go on, Phil Petty, you can go on and on and on, uh, and obviously a lot are up for discussion, but I I believe uh, those those would be my four. And thanks, Gamecock Pastor, uh, I certainly appreciate that. And uh, now the second way uh, to get into the iHelp Consulting mailbag, I'll tell you about iHelp Consulting. Uh, iHelp Consulting uh, is a Gamecock-owned and operated business, uh, and they will help your business save time and money. Their only mission is to help you save money on expenses. That means less time you have to spend worrying about it and more money. 
Whether you're paying too much for credit card processing, insurance, or anything else, iHelp can find your business the most savings without sacrificing quality. And remember, if iHelp can't save your business any money, you don't pay them anything. That's right. If iHelp can't help your business, it's no cost to you. So call or text Daniel Owens, my friend, at 843-372-5713 or visit iHelpConsulting.com to schedule a free consultation. That number, again, is 843-372-5713. iHelp Consulting. How can I help you? And, uh, you know, with Daniel, he's a consultant, but some consultants will sit there and say, we're going to pay me $2,000 regardless. Not him. You only pay a percentage of your first month's savings. So that's what makes iHelp a a tremendous value uh, for any business owners out there. And these questions come courtesy of the inbox inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. And first one comes in from Sean. Hey, JC, your D-line heaven statement is proven once again accurate as Shamik Jones from Camden went to an FSU mega camp and toured up. Got a ton of offers. You don't receive one from Missouri, who wasn't even present at the camp. He currently is unranked. So where does South Carolina stand with him? Are they recruiting him? FSU sources are saying he's going to blow up. Uh, well, yeah, okay. I heard about him from FSU sources. Uh, six, six, he's listed 250, something like that. Um, yeah, Carolina's supposed to have him in camp. I don't know what day. Uh, I would call him someone they are evaluating. Uh, I think he's got a, a nice upside to him, and obviously, you can get him and Xavier McLeod from Camden. That's a it's kind of like getting two from Dorman, right? Uh, but I don't know where exactly he is on the board, so I can't sit there and tell you. Yeah, they plan to offer him or whatever. But D line heaven, man. Yeah, you 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 find them. Uh, in the Carolinas, uh, North South Carolina all the time. And, uh, you know, like I mentioned earlier, you know, West Virginia has two defensive linemen from this state committed, two interior guys. Um, It's a place to come to get them. You know, South Carolina can't take everybody. Clemson can't take everybody. North Carolina can't take everybody. NC State can't take everybody. Um, And so that's uh, that's just kind of the deal there. Um, I'm very intrigued by him. And like I said, I same sources uh, or same – uh, not the same sources, but the same, you know, same feedback from that program that you've gotten, I've gotten too. So we'll see what happens. Right now, I'd say he's probably going to the state, but uh, that's just now, you know, so we'll see sort of how everything goes with that. Thank you for your email, Sean. Justin, must Mr. White chimes in. Hey, JC, I'd like your expert opinion. Is it better for a school to take a large recruiting class, for example, 2007 signing class of 31 players, or is it better to take a smaller class of quality players like Clemson did in 2018? I guess my question boils down to, is it better to have high numbers of P5 talent players and play the numbers game on players hitting, or is it better to get a small class of high-level recruits? Thanks, Mr. White. It's really six of one, half dozen of another. Uh you know, I think there's something to be said for striking while the iron is hot. In other words, like, you know, you're getting a lot of guys, you don't, you know, you've got the room, uh, get them. And that 07 class was an example of that. Cause if you think about it, the 06 class for Steve, all right, so the 05, let's go a little history here. The 05 class for Steve Spurrier, 
like actually sort of hit. Um, I'm sorry, didn't hit. The 05 class was highly ranked. You know, Carolina closed with because Spurrier came in and just started recruiting like crazy. Uh, OJ Murdoch, uh, tragedy, what happened to him? Carlos Thomas, who ended up being a DB. Jonathan Hanna, who never did anything, flipped the Gamecocks on signing day. Uh, really, the best players in that class ended up being Kenny McKinley and Jared Cook and uh, Ryan Suckup, you know, guys like that. The two quarterbacks, Tommy Beecher, you know, did not really work out. Cade Thompson ended up having a pretty good year under Marcus Satterfield at Tennessee Tech, but uh, when he transferred out, uh, Mike Davis, uh, the first one from Columbia, obviously was a, a pretty good player uh, out of that class. But there were a lot of guys that were highly rated in that one that just didn't pan out. And then you got lower rated guys like Lim Jean-Pierre. I think he's coaching in the NFL now and was in the NFL for a long time. So you just, that was kind of one of those that on paper looked good but didn't really work out. Now, 06 was a class that was not ranked high, Okay. And, you know, let's let's look at this class. Now, we're talking 17 years ago, so some of you maybe weren't even following recruiting then. Uh, you know, you have, to, you have to scroll down even uh, to get these guys. Darian Stewart, NFL, started on a Super Bowl team. Captain Munnerlin, NFL draft pick, three-year starter. Uh, Spencer Lanning walked on that year. He was good. Rodney Polk started for four years. Hutch Eckerson ended up being a, a starter on the SEC East title team. Eric Norwood still has the school record for career sacks. Jasper and Casper Brinkley, those guys were pretty key parts. Uh, Jasper spent years in the NFL. Now his son, believe it or not, is a recruit for the 2024 class. Emmanuel Cook probably went pro too early, but was really good while he was there. Uh, Terrence Campbell, multi-year starter at offensive guard. You know, so this class was ranked, what, 33rd in the country? Arguably was better than 05. Um, but you didn't, you, you know, Carolina lost some guys in 06. Now, the momentum wasn't there. Now, 07, they started getting everybody. But the exception of Gary Gray, who they had committed to begin with, and, and he sort of flipped. But, I mean, they got everybody in state. I mean, they won a ton of battles. And that really set a nice foundation. Now, a lot of those guys didn't turn out, but it was a bigger class. And then some guys in that class – that maybe weren't your higher rated guys, um, you know, ended up uh, doing big things uh, for the Gamecocks, like Melvin Ingram. I mean, he was a three-star linebacker guy. Uh, you know, Kyle Nunn, I don't, I don't know that expectations were through the roof and, and anybody thought he would be a starter. Antonio Allen was a bit three-star guy they got in that class. Pat DeMarco was a two-star guy. They got way, way late and was one of the handful of guys, Dylan Thompson and Michael Skarnacki are the others. So the, the only non-quarterback that Steve Spurrier himself was just like, okay, we're taking him. Good job. You know, Spurrier had a pretty high hit rate, if you think about it. You, you know, DeMarco in the NFL 10 years, you know, and was a key part uh, at fullback, tight end, whatever. Uh, Dylan Thompson holds the single-season record for passing yards. Uh, and then Michael Skarnakia, to be honest, you know, expectations were not very high uh, there. But, you know, his one shining moment, he comes in and leads the Gamecocks to a win against Missouri. That's the last time the Gamecocks have beaten Missouri. So how about that? So, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, 
Spurrier was sort of three for three as far as what he was looking for. Um, but but if you think about it, you know, Carolina took a lot of players. They were really – I mean, they even had to play some guys at prep school. Then the 08 class, something kind of happened, and they lost some momentum. I don't know what it was. Uh, that team that year was in the top five and then lost out. Uh, but it just didn't look too good. Meanwhile, Clemson, I think, signed a really good class on paper that year. That kind of set the – it kind of set the stage for Tommy Bowden not leaving up. Yeah, they were 10th in the country. Uh, it signed all kinds of guys. There's a lot of guys that didn't work out. Uh, Andre Ellington was not one of them. Kyle Parker was not one of them. But, you know, Kenneth Page, eh, you know, didn't really work out. Um, Jerron Brown is still in the NFL or was still in the NFL last time I checked. So he he actually did. But I remember them losing Jerron Brown, Carolina losing that kid out of Chirral in that class. And that was tough. You know, that was also the class Clemson got Daquan Bowers and Jamie Harper and those guys. So it kind of, the tables kind of turned. And so the moral of this story is, is that sometimes you got to recruit like there is no tomorrow. You know, you got to worry about the next class, you know, in terms of what you're going to, because right now, you know, you're, you're still, things happen so early now in college football recruiting that you can still get two, two to five early commits in the next class. But those numbers, you know, are so minimal compared to like your final product, then that's okay. Plus you got the transfer portal and everything else. Um, you know, you can worry about that the next time. And, you know, if you've got a situation where you're red hot, you have a lot of talented guys that want to come, you know, do you want this kid that, you think will be a really good player uh, to come in and maybe oversign at a critical position, you know, like defensive line, you know, like they're doing right now on defensive back, trying to up those numbers, or do you want, uh, you want to wait it out and, and, and be selective? You know, I, I think with Clemson, their selective classes have come at times when, you know, number one, they didn't have enough scholarships, you know, uh, number two, they, you know, they, sort of recruit like the guys they want. And then that's that. And it doesn't matter. You know, Clemson will recruit in a heartbeat, you know, a kid from Daniel that, you know, ain't nobody's ever really heard of, <laughs> uh, you know, or, or something like that. Nine times out of 10, those guys end up being good players. I mean, they, have, they had several starters on their offensive line last year that fit that bill. Um, or they would get some kids out of Alabama or whatever, you know, but like they did in the 2022 uh, class. Uh, they sort of just do their own thing. And so, you know, as far as that goes, you know, I, I uh, you know, I, I get it. But that's Clemson, and they're also sort of unique. Like Alabama, what they do, they maximize their spots every single cycle. You know, they are feeling – they're not holding anything back. And in the SEC, with how quickly things change, you know, college football in general with how things change, I would – venture to say that I would rather just maximize all my spots uh, per cycle. Now, now with the rule changing back to you can sign as many as you want, you have to be careful because uh, you oversign and you, know, you have to determine what that range is, right? Well, we we think, you know, we think we may probably have three or four left over because these guys may leave or we're under the 85. 
but you know you you still uh, at that point you know you you have to kind of project that out and, and you kind of cross that bridge when you come to it so to answer your question it's a long answer there is no right answer i've seen classes at certain schools that were like 13 members large <laughs> that have made a huge impact I've seen classes at certain schools that have 30 something and, you know, you look and 20 are gone after the first year. It just sort of depends uh, on who you get, what you get, what your culture is, how you develop that kind of thing. So there's no right or wrong answer. I, I though, if I'm the Gamecocks with this point, I'm not, you know, per cycle, I'm not holding anything back. You know, I, if I got a guy I think can play, uh, I'm taking him. Um, you know, obviously there may, there's some board, there's probably some borderline guys out there that they're, you know, are like iffy on, um, you know, and, and look, if you've got momentum established for the next class and that's looking more promising and that's hard to tell these days, or you can go in the portal. I, I don't think you take the borderline guy, you know, if space is an issue. Now, if jumps in the border on board early, like a lot of guys do, fine, do it. So that's the deal there. Thanks, Mr. White, for your question. Final question. Comes in from my boy, Tristan. What's the dirt on, dirt on Jalen Daniels? Never heard of him until I saw a tweet about him committing, but the whole thing was very quiet and thought it was kind of weird, guessing a low-caliber prospect. No, this is a kid that uh, from California that knows Rattler, knows his quarterback's coach, but it's got some tools, got some upside, but he's kind of slipped through the cracks, you know, and – liked his experience in South Carolina and decided to take a preferred walk-on spot. Uh, and here's the deal, you know, if you're Marcus Satterfield, Shane Beamer, you know, quarterback situation, and Shane Beamer's mentioned it several times. He's like, we need more quarterbacks, you know, just in terms of practice operations and all that. Uh, I think that's wise because there is such a thing as a transfer portal these days and that position nationally is always going to be fluid. Think about the number of transfer quarterbacks in the SEC alone, uh, including at Carolina. You got Rattler there, you know, now. I mean, you, you look at Ole Miss, Jackson Dart, if he wins the job because he hadn't won it yet. <laughs> at Ole Miss, you know, Jaden Daniels uh, from California and Arizona State is at LSU trying to battle for that one. Max Johnson from LSU went to Texas A&M. He's trying to win that job. Uh, the kid that started at A&M last year beat Alabama. He's at Auburn trying to win that job. And, you, you know, Alabama's had a lot of kids hit the portal uh, at quarterback uh, over the years. You know, Auburn's uh, starting quarterback for last year, Bo Nix, is at Oregon. <laughs> uh, and so what you want to avoid is – you know, and, and, and the, the wisdom with if a good quarterback wants to come, you take it, uh, unless you're just, you know, sickly loaded uh, with proven guys, is, you know, look, let's say you have a year where a couple of guys hit the portal because they got beat out, uh, and then – but then your guy that is the that did the beating out gets injured, and then you're depending on freshmen or guys that can't play. Uh, and I think after what happened last year with the revolving door quarterback, there's sort of a never again kind of mantra with it. And, you know, and, and look, uh, the, the, the Jalen Daniels thing, a lot of people were like, wow, 
uh, when it comes to that because you put on the film and he can play. He's a good player. Uh, and nobody really expected another quarterback to come in. But you, you take as many as you can. And, and right now, I don't think it's a big deal. I mean, you've got Tanner Bailey, who they love. You have Braden Davis, who has the upside, uh, both freshmen. Luke Doty, it's huge for him that Rattler's there and he can kind of develop this year, hopefully. Um, you know, DeCarron Joyner can still play quarterback, by the way. I still think he can. Uh, and then Daniels. I mean, so so you've got – you know, more than you got Lonergan you're trying to get, then you got Reno, you got Bradford. I mean, there, there's, you know, they're trying to kind of stack it up, and that's smart, you know, because not only do you have to ward against the what-ifs with injuries, as we saw. I mean, look, Luke Doty gets injured in camp. Zeb Nolan had injuries during the year. I don't think Jason Brown was ever injured, uh, but then he left. I mean, you know, you, you look at the situation they went through last year, and I think they'd be dumb. Uh if a good player that can help him wants to come, come, you know, I even saw, I thought the Helfrich kid who the walk, it was a walk on last year had a heart issue and couldn't play. I, I thought he looked pretty good in the spring game, you know, and, and you, you need guys like that, you know, for practice competition, you need it in case of emergency. I mean, you just, you know, different players are at different positions uh, or different spots uh, in their careers in terms of their ability. So, uh, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say low caliber prospect. I would say, you know, has a chance. Insurance policy contributes to, you know, another good walk on coming in. They have a lot of good walk ons. So, I am, uh, you know, I am not uh, sad that they took him, uh, and I think his film looks good. Thanks, Tristan. Certainly appreciate your uh, contributing to. Uh, inside the Gamecocks podcast and that's all we have for today thank you so much uh, for listening uh, and for the success of this podcast uh, to Jonathan who reached out to Cindy Searfoss Realtors I appreciate that that helps me more than anything because that keeps the advertisers going by the way we've got more room moving to the daily format uh, gonna have more spots it's gonna be a two-hour show and then there'll be a 15 to 30 minute morning quick hitter so that gives me more inventory. If any of you out there have businesses, I will cut you a good rate. Uh, kind of a little special coming in and, and got a new person working with me too. So uh, that's more overhead. So <laughs> anything, uh, if you guys want to, if you've been waiting to get in and we've been kind of full, let me know because we're starting to sell that right now and I'll cut you a good deal like for football season and all that. Uh, also, don't forget Carolina Rise. If you have not signed up for Carolina Rise, that helps Gamecock student-athletes with NIL. Uh, this was not a Carolina Rise deal, but Mo Caba, who mentioned he was cutting grass, uh, got a great deal uh, with Cato's uh, Power Equipment, a local place in Columbia. And, uh, you know, they read the tweet. And he was like, this NIL deals aren't hitting yet. If anybody needs their grass cut, um, and, you know, Ben Cato, uh, who, who I don't know, the class of 2013, uh, if he's a member or a listener, uh, I just want to give a shout out uh, to Ben Cato and Cato's power equipment for hooking this up. This was not a Carolina Rise deal, by the way. Not, it wasn't affiliated with me at all. Uh, but things like this, guys, uh, if you're out there and you're a business owner, it makes all the sense in the world. And it helps because recruits see it and they're like, oh, okay. You know, this is what's going on. This is what's going on uh, at South Carolina. They, they have people that will step in. 
and it all goes toward the total number. Uh, like I've said, you know, I, the collectives are not competitive things. The collectives are uh, part of a greater deal. And uh, I think, you know, Ben Cato, like, like, hey, if you guys want any power equipment, you know, uh, head on down to Cato's Power Equipment. I'll give them a free plug there because I think things like this just really, really help to enrich uh, the NIL situation uh, at South Carolina. Uh, and step it up like that's huge. So anyway, hats off to that. But go join Carolina Rise if you want to do your part. Still got a lot of members left in the or numbers left in the 1801 club and do have some some deals with some players coming up uh, across a few sports, a couple sports. So uh, that's paying off on the other end too. So I mean, you know, you gotta wait for the right time to announce some of them. So that's uh what's going on there. All right, thanks so much for listening. Uh we will uh, rejoin soon. I can guarantee you there won't be two weeks uh, between podcasts this time uh, for the next couple of weeks, certainly uh, getting back in the saddle after the engagement break or whatever. I'm J.C. Sherbert. Appreciate each and every one of you. Have a wonderful Tuesday inside the Gamecast podcast signing off.